Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we have a special show for you. We're talking to the one and only, the Olympic gold medalist, Gwen Jorgensen. As many of you probably know, after winning the Rio Games, Gwen left triathlon to pursue a marathon medal. Since having a kid, she's been training with one of the best running squads in the country, the Bowerman Track Club. And here she talks to us about why she's now focusing on the 5K and 10K for the Tokyo Olympics, how she came back from surgery last year, and the art of believing in herself, or why she doesn't read all the social media comments saying she won't succeed. If you don't know Gwen's story, she was a swimmer in college until coaches convinced her to become a runner. Then she gave up on running post-college to be an accountant until the USAT elite development head convinced her to become a triathlete. And 18 short months later, she was at the Olympics. She talks to us about what it took to go all in after that and win gold, how she was technically just on a leave of absence from her accounting job for six or seven years, and why she gave it all up to pursue her love of running. Plus, if we'll ever see her back and try and what she wants to do post-Olympics. All of that on today's episode. All right, this week we're talking to the one and only uh, Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen. And as a lot of our listeners know, Gwen is now trying to go for the Olympics and running, which we'll talk about in a second. But my biggest question for you is, you just got done with like a, a break, right? Like an off season. What did you yep. do during your break? <laughs> um, yeah, so I just had a break and this was actually my first break in running where it's been like my choice. I haven't had an injury or coming back from pregnancy. So it was kind of fun. We actually, um, we did travel. I know it's COVID, but we traveled to see Pat's parents who we haven't seen for a long time because of COVID. And they'd been begging us to come out. Uh, I was pretty hesitant, but they really wanted it. And Stanley had a blast. They have a lake house. I went water skiing. We just hung out. Like they cooked us dinner. They made fish fries. Like it was just, it was so amazing. Okay. And, and why, I mean, obviously racing was sort of weird this year. Like you didn't really do as much as you probably had thought you were going to do. Why did you still think you needed to take a break? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think we, Jerry was trying to keep this year as normal as possible. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, we, he thought, you know, why would we do something completely different this year than our bodies are used to? And we actually ended the season with a bunch of Bowerman inner squad racing. So it was just our team racing. And I thought like, oh, I don't need a break. But by the end, I definitely did <laughs> because all the races were like 400 meters, 800 meters, definitely out of my wheelhouse. Um, and so just the mental fatigue of like needing to get up and ready to race and race against people like Shelby Houlihan, who is world champ in the 1500 in a 1500, like me to go up against that is just like, it's really mentally, uh, fatiguing, um, to not, you know, there wasn't really any 10 Ks or anything that was in my wheelhouse. So, um, that just by the end got a little bit draining and I definitely needed the break. I think, you know, usually we only need a break mentally, um, more mental than physical. Right. Um, and, and that's normally the the reason for a break that I take one. Uh, what were those inner squad meets? Like, I know some of them were like, I saw some of them online, but then some of them you just like hear about later and there were really fast times. Was it different? Was it weird? It was amazing. I feel really <laughs> fortunate to be in a group that's so large that we can put on these races ourselves. Like, you know, we had, <laughs> 10 people racing every race. Right. So like to have that amount of people, it felt like a real race. Um, you know, we could set up pacers and like, it was just, it was a really, really neat atmosphere to be able to do that. And I think, you know, a lot of times you saw a lot of fast times because we could set the races up however we wanted. Right. Um, you know, we could have a pace, the pace pacers were just for us. Like everything was set up to run fast times because there were, it wasn't a championship style race. So I think that's kind of why we saw a lot of fast times, you know, um, Shelby and Carissa have been wanting to go after that 5k American record. And, um, they probably could have broken a few more American records, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty fun time. What was your biggest, like, what was your best event? The 400? No, I'm kidding. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, you know, um, I, I ran a 5k okay. and I was pretty disappointed with it, but I ran it right down out of altitude. And I've had like a couple instances now where I've come down from altitude and raced right away, 
really poorly. Um, and the race, the 5k wasn't really poor. Um, it was just kind of like, eh, I, right. I felt like I was in better shape than that. And so for me, that was probably my best race, but no, you know, what was my best race the next week I did? Sorry. <laughs> I did a 3k of Shelby and Carissa's 5k attempt, attempt, uh, American record attempt, which they got. And so Jerry told like me and a few other of the girls to just hang on for 3K, stop at 3K no matter what. And I went through at that pace and it actually felt easier huh. than the prior week doing the doing the 5K. And there's no way I could have kept going and like finished with them. But just like, I think that was the, the most rewarding race that I finished feeling like super strong and confident. That's so interesting how, yeah, some weeks it feels good and some weeks it doesn't, right? Yep. (laughs) So I want to talk to you some more about running, but let's talk. Let's go back a little bit. And well, first off, do you still bike and swim as part of your training? Are you still secretly a triathlete here? Mm, Mm. I do not like swimming. And actually recently, Shalane just told me she, at the end of last season, she was like, Gwen, like you're moving way better. And I think it's because you're not in the pool getting those shoulder muscles. And I was like, yes, another excuse not to have to swim. Um, so I actually only cross train when I need to. Okay. So like if my body's feeling tired and worn down or like when I take a down week, um, a lot of times I supplement with biking instead of like double runs. So I don't really do much. Um, but there is a tiny little bit of biking in there, but it wasn't swimming like your first love. Like you, that was what you did before yeah. you even ran. Right. So what? Why the hostility now? <laughs> uh, did you were you a swimmer growing up, Kelly? No, but I know everybody gets really burned out. Like that's the <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I in high school I started competitive swimming at age eight, and in high school I went through all this work to get special permission to use my study hall hour to swim extra in the morning. So like I was swimming from like five to eight every morning, and then swimming again at night, and I loved it at the time. And you know, my parents were very uh, not encouraging me to do that. You know, they were supportive in like what I wanted to do, but they're like, don't you, wouldn't you rather like study during that time and then hang out with your friends at night? And, um, so yeah, I think, you know, I put all my heart and soul into swimming in high school and then in college as well, and just was getting zero reward back. And, um, as well, I've just become such a baby with like, I don't want to be cold and wet. (laughs) I don't know. It just doesn't sound fun. No, you don't have to convince me. It doesn't sound fun. (laughs) But let's so it's so interesting because obviously, you know, swimming, like you just said, like you were so into it and then you eventually kind of switched to running, but you had to be convinced to do that. And then you had to eventually be convinced to do triathlon, right? So it's kind of <laughs> funny. It's like, how did, uh, you know, how do people talk you into these things along the way? <laughs> it's a question I ask myself. I actually, my college running coach, when he, I did like one year in college at Madison where I swam and ran and my running coach told me like, when you're, you're way better at running, just run, stop swimming. And I just looked him dead in the eyes and said, if you tell me that one more time, I'm quitting running and I'm never coming back to practice. And he was just like, never mentioned it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how people convinced me a lot okay. of time, patience and, and, uh, yeah, just letting me kind of come to it on my own terms, but showing me the way. So when did you start? Cause obviously like you love running. When did you finally like start loving running? In college for mm-hmm. sure. You know, um, I actually wanted to run professionally out of college, but I only ran, I didn't start running until halfway through, um, my junior year. Like it was halfway through outdoor season. So, um, I really only had like two years of running in college, not even. And, um, I really wanted to run professionally and my college coach just was like, Gwen, I don't think you're good enough. And I was very much like mindset of I'm a strong, independent woman. Like I'm not going to live with my parents just so I can pursue this Mm. in my head, silly dream. If I can't, basically, if I can't support myself financially, I don't want to do this. And so, um, you know, I wanted to, to do professional running after college because I knew like I have not reached my potential and that's been shown like in college, Mm -hmm. I ran 15 50 something in the 5k and I've already won 15, 10. So like there's definitely was more in there, but at the time I just, uh, didn't feel like I was good enough to do it. That's yeah. That's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. So you became an accountant instead, right? And then that's right. And then they had to convince you to try triathlon, which I know (laughs) like we've all heard this story, but it is kind of funny. You didn't even want to try triathlon at all, right? Like, no, no. I, (laughs) I remember I did a triathlon, uh, with one of my really good high school friends, Maggie Locke in, I think it was high school. And I was just like, I don't want to do this. I hate it, but you're my really good friend. And so I'll do it with you. And I did it. And I was like, yep, 
really happy I did that with you, but never doing that again. And so, yeah, USA Triathlon had a recruitment program, a college recruitment program, and Barb Lindquist Mm -hmm. called me. Um, I met her at, like, NCAA Champs one year, and she just called me almost every week, and she was very patient. Um, She became a mentor for me, and, you know, we really didn't talk much about triathlon in those early days. It was just kind of she called, checked in, like, Hmm. how's it going? You know, what what are you doing this week? What's new? What are your struggles? Um, And eventually she just kind of convinced me. I actually, I left college um, with a couple stress fractures, actually. I I, I don't feel like I talked about this part of my story much, but in college there was my last final season. I don't think I was fueling properly. I cut Mm -hmm. out dessert and um, yeah, I got like- Do that. No, no, exactly. Dessert is the best part of the meal. I mean, come on. But I think, you know, I, I, I was really, um, I, I just, I looked at my peers and I think I got into peer pressure where right. none of my teammates were having dessert. And I was like, okay, if that's what runners do, sure, I'll do what runners do. And that wasn't what was best for me. I was naturally skinny already. So to get even smaller was just um, a big no-no. So I had two stress fractures um, and so I couldn't run. And so I remember Barb was like, well, what are you going to do? Like, do you want to be active? Like, mm-hmm. are you going to swim? And I was like, yeah, I'll probably swim. Like I still want to exercise every day. And she's like, oh, why don't you bike a little? Like, so that's kind of how she like got me okay. to biking. Um, and then, yeah, she like gave me a bike and she's like, you know, I can get you a coach that can kind of help you make training fun. And just kind of little by little, um, convinced me to do triathlon. Yeah. You had like a, local coach Cindy I've met Cindy and you're like yeah yeah and you were like on training it's like very like age group or regular and you did that like pretty much for a while like even as you got really good which is kind of crazy if you think about it yeah Cindy Manning was my uh, coach and she just yeah sent me workouts via training peaks um she was in Madison Wisconsin I was in Milwaukee Wisconsin so that's over an hour away like I didn't see her much um Tom Schuler actually helped me out a lot in Milwaukee just like hands-on bike skills wise Mm And he actually introduced me to my husband, Pat, as well. But um, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, it was just like doing that, uh, coaching from afar, you know, doing workouts at 4 a.m. to go into work and get in all my hours at work and um, qualified for the Olympics doing that and went to the 2012 Olympics, you know, got second at a world triathlon series through that coaching. So, yeah, it was was pretty successful doing that. That's like um, obviously crazy, but also very quick success. I mean, if it hadn't been as quick, do you think you would have stuck with it? I think, you know, if I wouldn't have qualified for the Olympics in in 2011, I think I would have kept going, but I had so much other success, you know, like my first race, I got my pro car. Um, I went to a, uh, FISU like U23 and got second place on the podium. So I was doing like all the, yeah, I mean, it was very quick. And if, if I wouldn't have had any of those successes, no, I wouldn't have kept doing it. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, you decided to quit your job which is a big deal for you, go all in on yep. the, like, make the Olympics. Um, What did that kind of take, you know, personally to make that decision? Um, It took my <laughs> boss being really <laughs> accommodating. I feel like everything on my journey takes people, like, accommodating towards <laughs> me. Um, my boss, you know, I went in and I said, look, I qualified for the Olympics. I'd like to to train a little bit more. And he's like, okay, well, why don't we, you know, we started out doing a flexible work plan where I cut my hours and eventually I was working like 10 hours a week, which is basically opening your inbox. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I felt like, well, I'm not doing anything worthwhile here. Right. And so that's when I went to him and said like, look, I want to give triathlon a full shot, but I'm nervous that you know, if it doesn't work out, I want something to fall back on. And so they actually put me on a leave of absence. And I think I was on a leave of absence for like six or seven years. I I think still like I can come back. Right. Are you like still on a leave of absence technically? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of how, you know, I I still kind of had that security and I feel fortunate that I was um, given that opportunity. And Patrick also, I mean, we kind of, you know, you've mentioned, he also like at that point pretty much went all in on like you supporting you, right? Like moved with you to Australia. Yep. It was pretty wild. Um, You know, Pat and I hadn't been dating that long and he used to be a professional cyclist and he kind of saw potential in me and, and was like, look, you know, I kind of told him what I thought I needed to, to win gold at 
Rio and he's like, all right, well, and he's like, what's holding you back? And I said, I, I don't want to go abroad alone for eight months. And he said, okay, I'll come with you. And so that was a big shock to me and, um, something I'm so grateful for. And, uh, you know, he actually continued to be a professional cyclist for a little bit, but a few months in the road, down the road, he, he quit. So, um, completely just to take care of me, which was also a big adjustment, just, you know, I didn't want him to ever feel like I, like I took something away from him. You know, I wanted right. him to quit on his own terms, not for me, but, um, it's, it's turned out great. He's definitely a caretaker and he definitely gets, uh, he gets a lot of, um, a lot of gratitude and his self-worth out of others and helping others succeed. And he actually, he actually just started his own business. He's an agent now for some pretty, um, successful clients. Um, he has a lot, a lot of, uh, listeners will know Lionel Sanders. Um, so he is his agent. And so like, you know, I just, that's Pat's personality. He just loves helping people get to the top. Um, and so I think we just made a really good fit together. That's so funny. I didn't realize, yeah, I didn't realize uh, Lionel had an agent first off. And yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I was going to say, yeah, because Pat, I feel like we did a story about you a few, a, a Valentine's Day story about yes. how he like supports you and everything. Yes. Yeah. I love that story. It's my favorite story. I think it's like happy wife, happy life, which I don't like. I don't know if that's the title, but I like, there was like, I didn't like that title, but yeah, I mean, he... Yeah, he's been amazing. He's definitely a caretaker personality. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have won gold without him. You know, he he's and, you know, now in my running career, like I'm definitely not at the level I was at when I ended my triathlon mm-hmm. career. I'd say I'm kind of where I was when I started my triathlon career. And without him being able to do the grocery shopping and cooking and help with Stanley, like I would not be able to to do this without him. And so it's just pretty awesome that he's willing to 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 do this. You know, after Rio, we sat down and I said, like, look, now's your chance, dude. Like, if you want me to get out and you want like me to support you, like we can do that. And he's like, No, let's let's do this. So right. pretty exciting. So after you like got gold in Rio, were you was that like immediately like, all right, well, I did what I wanted to do, like cool, we're done now? Or did you toy with, you know, sticking around triathlon some? In my heart, it was always like, I'm done. Yeah. I actually, I, I always, always had the plan of real baby. Uh, um, and I never thought I could come back to sport after having a baby. And after Rio, I, I kind of like kept my eye open and saw like Nicola Spearig, like she had a baby and came back and got second. I'm like, whoa, like maybe I can be a mom and do sport. And that was kind of like, the changing moment for me was seeing all the moms in Rio. Um, and so I was like, okay, plan is still win gold, have a baby. And then I'm like, well, if I can still do sport, like what am I going to do? Like triathlon? Yeah. I've been successful and we have a formula that works, but it doesn't excite me. Like I've already conquered this. Like what, what is exciting for me? And I sat, had lots of conversations and basically it came down to, I'm insecure in the financial <laughs> outcome of triathlon. Like I know that I can make money at it. Right. And I was like, that's no reason to stay in a sport. Um, and I really, really wanted to run and yeah, like called a couple coaches. Um, you know, some of them were like, no way. Don't like you're crazy. And some of them were like, yeah, I think we can do this. And some of them were like, I think you're going to be amazing. And, um, you know, I went with Jerry who was like, we don't know. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, I've been really fortunate to be able to be surrounded by the best and be confronted by the world standard on a daily basis. And that's something that I crave and that gets me motivated every day to, to work hard. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you decided to leave triathlon, like everyone thought it was great. Oh my God. Like the, cause you at that point defending gold medalists, you'd won like more WTS races than any woman in a row. Right. Yep. Uh, did you read the message boards? Did you like all the people who were like, no, (laughs) I I never read message boards and I hate it when like Pat actually does. And I always forget that he reads them. And every once in a while he'll be like, did you see this? And I was like, where'd you see that? And he like some message board and I'm like, get off the message boards. I'm like, no, nothing good ever comes off a message board. Like nothing good. I don't know. I just like, you know, I, one thing that I really attribute to Pat as well um, that he's given me is my security and myself. 
and my belief in myself. And, you know, sport doesn't define me and I'm really comfortable with who I am. I know that I do my best. I help out other people in the ways that I can and I do my best and I know how good I believe I can be. So what other people say, like, really doesn't ever get me. Um, I do have to admit, though, having a child kind of changed that. Like Hmm. when somebody started, like the first time I got a negative comment about Stanley, I was just like, whoa, like this affects me. Um, And so I had to kind of relearn how to be secure in that. But yeah, I feel like, you know, message boards, nothing good comes out of it. And honestly, like when people tell me about that stuff, I'm just like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to keep doing my thing. I don't care what you say. Like, I think, I think that's something I wish younger athletes learned really early on. Cause I think, you know, I didn't have internet to the extent it is now when I was growing up in high school, but I seeked the approval of everyone. And so I just kind of extrapolate and go back and like, if I had like Instagram and message boards and all that stuff back in high school, like it would have been really difficult to get through that time. And I wish that everyone at a younger age could learn, like, you do you, you work on you and just ignore the random rest of the world. Right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, no, the internet can be, especially running internet, the running forums can be crazy. (laughs) Are the running ones worse than the triathlon ones? I think so. There's more of them. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so it's bound to, yeah, just by numbers, bound to be worse. (laughs) But obviously, I mean, you're an accountant, you know numbers. So, like, obviously, you knew what you were capable of in triathlon and you could look at what you had run you know, in the 5k, 10k and what the like gold medalists were running. Yeah. Like, and you knew what that gap was, right? Like you're smart. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, you know, I think people, they think I just like said this and didn't take any consideration into it. But I talked to a lot of experts, a lot of physiologists. Um, you know, we looked at my VO2 max, which I um, get done every year. We looked at, um, you know, how, how fast my 10k time had been improving. I did a couple like open 10 Ks during my triathlon career and how much Mm. better I was getting just by training through those. And we put a lot of calculation into like whether we thought this is actually possible and uh, if it was a reality. And I know I probably haven't done anything to prove myself yet, but I, I know, you know, I've lowered my times by like in the 5k by almost a minute right. and like, which is still not enough. But for me, like I know what is left in me. Um, and so that's exciting for me. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, so, so first off, right. You said like, so people who don't know when, like who didn't weren't around then when you decided yep. to switch, you were like, I'm going to win a medal, a gold medal in the marathon. Yep. Right. Yep. And that sounded crazy to a lot of people. Yep. Why the marathon? Why not just be like, Hey, I want to see how good I can be. Why make it like, that's what I'm going to do. I think because I don't care what people think and, (laughs) and as well, like for me, I think it's good and I want women to know, like, it's okay to have goals and to have lofty goals and to say them out loud. Like what's wrong with you saying your goal? Like I come back to everyone who lines up at the Olympic trials marathon, everyone wants to make the team. I don't care if everyone's saying that everyone wants to make that team everyone that's lining up. And Mm -hmm. then when you make the Olympic team, like everybody wants to medal and not everyone is saying that out loud, but that is always the ultimate goal. And so I don't know. I just feel like what's, why should I have to hide that? And Mm -hmm. you know what? Like I didn't accomplish that goal. I was injured. I couldn't make the Olympic trials and the marathon. I missed that opportunity um, and changed my goals and that's okay. And I think that's also a great lesson, like set lofty goals. And I think there's nothing wrong with setting lofty goals. And then you set all these process you know, smaller goals along the way. And you're going to have to sometimes make adjustments and that's okay. And I, I think that's a good lesson for people to learn. Yes. Is you ended up having surgery for, I mean, there's a fancy term for it. You can tell me, but like the bones from the back of your foot. And so you didn't run the marathon trials back in February and decided to switch to track instead. At what point did you kind of make that call? Like know that that was in the cards? Yeah. So um, you know, I was very scared of having surgery. I actually, my Hagelin's deformity, that's what it's called, okay. started when I was pregnant um, because my feet swe- swelled up and I was wearing shoes that were too small and then just a lot of things. Um, and it started then and I was able to get through all my training until the Chicago Marathon. And after that, I just couldn't come back. I tried PRP. I tried, you know, complete rest. I tried all these different things and, and nothing worked. And I was like, well, I know I can't accomplish any goals the way I am. So it's either surgery 
or like quit. And so I was like, I'll get surgery, um, which is always risky because you can always, you know, you might not come out the other end, but I got it. And um, in that return back, I never looked at a calendar. Um, okay. And that was, I think, really a blessing. But, you know, if I would have looked at a calendar, I think I would have rushed it to make the trials. Uh, but, but Patrick and I, I would always, if he'd tell me the date, I'd be like, don't tell me what the date is. Like, so did like, you, like, did you literally, like- I did not know what month it was. You know, <laughs> I was just like, I do not want to know, like, don't show me any calendars. Like, just tell me if I have an appointment on a Monday or, you know, whatever. Um, all right. So you didn't know so, what like day it was for a couple months there. Yes. I mean, <laughs> was, which sounds ridiculous, but for me, that's what I needed to fully listen to my body. I didn't want to set this arbitrary you know, guideline of I need to be ready on February mm-hmm. 29th um, to run the trials. And so I just let my body come back. And, you know, I was actually healthy and doing workouts by February 29th, but I wasn't doing marathon miles. And, um, you know, if I, if I would have done that, maybe I would have come back with an issue. And I just know now I'm healthy and I'm able to hit these track workouts. And, you know, when I told I don't, I think it was like a month out from the Olympic trials and the marathon. And I talked to Jerry and just said, what do you think? And he's like, oh, it's like, I thought all around you should do the track instead of the marathon, but you know, you got to like what you're doing. And if you like the marathon, that's what you're going to do. So like, do you like track? Like, wh- what do you like to do? And I was like, I just want to run. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah. So like that was a really easy transition, um, for me. Are you still, I mean, it's a plan still to come to the marathon down the road. I really want to, but it's mm-hmm. difficult now with the Olympics being postponed another year, um, just because I'm getting older and I, I do want another child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I can have a child and come back to sport a second time. Um, it, it just was emotionally really, really difficult for me. And, and so, yeah, I think I'm up against a time clock. Um, right. and so I would like to do marathons. Um, but I think, you know, as well, like I would need a couple years of track and, and I do want to go more than just this year. So I don't know, like maybe I do track this year and then do one year of marathoning, but that's just not a lot of time to marathon. And I think I've realized like to be a good marathoner, you need the years of miles in your legs. And that's something that I'm working on now in the track, which is kind of exciting. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a child and come back and do marathons. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Why yes. was it? Why was it so it's just like the emotional of like coming back post-pregnancy or of leaving Stanley with Pat or like what was so hard? It was, I think a lot of it was like how, I mean, I, I said emotionally, but it was, it was like an emotional physical tie. So Mm. like I breastfed and I felt like, you know, breastfeeding took a lot out of my training. Um, I cannot tell you how many calories I was eating when I was breastfeeding and training. Like it was absurd. And, you know, I'd come home from training and Stanley would eat first. So I'd feed him and then I'd have lunch. So like normally I come home, Pat has dinner on the table. I recover, I get my food in right away. Like everything's awesome. But you know, I'd come home, I'd have to feed Stan for half an hour and then put him to bed. And then I'd, you know, two hours later and I haven't eaten lunch after a hard workout and took this big toll on me. And then emotionally, I just felt like I can't stop breastfeeding because that's what my child needs. But I know I'm also not doing everything I can as a professional athlete to be my best. Um, so I think that like emotional struggle was, was really difficult. And as well, I thought, and as well, physically, when I, after I had Stanley, I thought, you know, oh, five, 10 days later, max, I'll be running. It'll be no problem. <laughs> and I actually, I actually had to go back in for surgery, um, like 10 days after, um, and, and get, uh, a lot of stitches. I actually had like, I had a vaginal birth, but had over 50 stitches and then some of them fell out and I had to go back in and get them put back in. And so like I was basically on bed rest and that was the other part. Like I couldn't, I didn't leave my bed and I like, I didn't play with Stanley. I only touched him when I was feeding him because I was so weak for like the first three weeks. And I think that was just really hard. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like very, Obviously, more and more athletes are having kids and coming back, and so we're learning more and more. But it's still such a we don't know kind of yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so, but, but you. I mean, obviously, you did come back. You like ease back into training. Are you back to full load now, more or less? I mean, obviously, oh, like yeah. after the surgery last year and back. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the other thing, like taking the break this year, Mm -hmm. you know, I took two weeks off and and people are going to say this isn't off, but in my head, when you're used to running over a hundred miles a week, my two off weeks were that I ran, I think I ran twice the first week for like 15, 20 minutes and twice the second week for 20, 25 minutes. Um, and for me that was off. I mean, that's like a huge difference, but, um, you know, I took those two weeks off and then didn't really like kind of slowly, gradually built back up the next four weeks and then joined back the crew. And I was surprised, like I went like right back into training, like, Mm -hmm. and just to like, remember how I had to come back after pregnancy, how I had to come back after surgery. Like it's so slow. You're doing run walks, like the workouts don't progress. Like, so I think, um, you know, that going through that this year, like being healthy and taking a break and coming back, I was like, Oh man, like to go back to another one of those long comebacks is just really hard. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, Oh, this was so much better. Let's talk about yeah. like, so the group, I mean, you've mentioned it a few times. Um, so Bowerman track club led by Jerry Shoemaker, but you also, I mean, you guys have, what is it? 10 women who are like all American record holders, world champions. Like yeah. it's crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's 12 of us now. Um, we just added a couple, but yeah, I mean, I am training with literally like world champs, world medalists, American record holders, um, the best of the best, the cream of the top. It's incredible. And I think it could be intimidating, but for me, I love it and I thrive in it. And last year at the end of the season, I really felt like that was the first time I was you can help a group, like the group atmosphere, you can help them people emotionally, you can help people in workouts. And I felt like I hadn't been able to help anyone and push anyone physically in a workout until this past season. And so that was really exciting for me. Um, and something that I'm just so excited to to build upon. Does it ever get I mean, everyone's trying to go after the same Olympic spots, the same, you know what I mean? Does yep. it ever yep. get competitive? Is it like weird? They the Bowerman track club does such a good job. And I think, you know, like when I was in triathlon, um, Jamie, my triathlon coach, he didn't want too many people from the same country Hmm. because he didn't want people fighting against those three Olympic spots. And here, you know, you come in and you have, you know, (laughs) there's like five of the top Americans in the same group in the same event. And, um, I could see how that could be a problem, but I think when you're, you know, Sarah Hall just had a tweet and I was like, that's exactly it. She just posted something. It was like, when you're confident in yourself, um, you're not like insecure about others doing well and you can congratulate them or something to that effect. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly it. And I feel like that's kind of how our group is. Like we're confident in our abilities and, you know, every day, every training practice isn't a race. And like, when you realize that and you realize like, this is to get better, this isn't a race. Um, that's how you improve. And that's kind of how you just like keep it in your wheelhouse. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Tell, uh, what does a regular week look like? Like, do you, do you guys do all your practices together or do you do some things on your own or? Yep. So, uh, with COVID, it's a little bit different right, now. We right. do like all our gym sessions all together. Um, but we don't do that anymore, but we do still run together. So, um, we're kind of our own little pod as, as Jerry and we would call it, but we, um, we do hard workouts together, uh, twice a week, Sunday long runs. We like when we're in Portland, Sunday long runs, sometimes we split up into two groups. Some people want to go hilly. Some people want to go flats. Um, and then the other easy runs, we, we normally meet for those as well, but in smaller groups, like groups of two or three. Um, and then we normally, Saturday's the one day you can kind of like do your own thing. So not run with the group or, or, you know, sleep in, run at a different time. But then when we go to altitude, like it's literally every day. Yeah. We run everything together all the time, but sometimes we split up into groups. Like if somebody's tired and somebody else is tired, you, you just kind of split up. Right. Like you said, uh, today was your, you're on your own. So you had your nap scheduled from two to four. I did, (laughs) but that's every day. That's not just Saturdays. (laughs) That's an everyday thing. So I guess, I mean, I guess I forgot like in Portland, um, not one word else too, but in Portland for double runs, everyone's always on your own and kind of solo. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes like some of my teammates have partners who run with them and sometimes like, oh man, I wish Pat could run with me, but um, it's also good for me to to learn how to run solo, I think. I think that's a good skill to know. Yeah, spend some time by yourself, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> How is this year different? I mean, you kind of like, obviously, I mean, a lot of the pro athletes have made these little like training pod groups where they're all together. How but you guys also didn't have rate. Like, how do, was it totally different this year? Or was it mostly the same, actually? It was actually kind of the, I mean, relatively the same, mm-hmm. you know, with just different precautions. And I actually love this year. <laughs> um, I, I just think I needed maybe that extra year post-surgery. But, you know, we went to altitude to Park City in, I don't know what month it was, a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, we went to altitude, we did altitude training, we came down, we did those inner squad racing, which is way different. Like we raced way more than we normally would, um, just because we could. And basically it was, it's either doing these inner squad meets and getting some times or running fast at practice with Jerry on the time, you know, on the stopwatch, like, so might as well make it a race. And so, yeah, I think, um, this year, you know, there was a, there was a period of time, before we went to altitude, when COVID first hit that, um, we split up into smaller pods. There was only like two or three of us per, uh, per group going to different tracks all around Portland. So we did do that up until altitude. And then when we got to altitude, we all kind of made one bigger pod. How, I mean, when they announced that the Olympics were canceled, how did you, I mean, how did you handle it? How did everybody handle it? Do you feel like this? I seems like this extra year is going to be good for you. I think it'll be good for you, but (laughs) I mean, it's gotta be a little disappointing though, because that was the big plan. Yeah. I mean, you know, Pat and I have talked about this a lot and I'm always like, I feel guilty kind of saying like how amazing this year has been like because I having an extra year of running under my belt before the trials I think is great you know I learned so much this year about how I perform coming out of altitude which is like Mm -hmm. if I would have done my key race right out of altitude not known how I perform like that would have been really disappointing to miss the mark just because of something silly like that um and as well Stanley is just at such a cute age and like I've been doing all my like when we're like do all my runs from home. And so like I have do gym at home, like, so I have more Stanley time. So like for our family, it's been just a really great year. Um, and so like those sorts of things that like are the most important in life have been, yeah, really great. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, with the Olympics being canceled, it was a little bit like, Oh man. Cause when I, when I first heard they were canceled, I was like having the best workouts of my life. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I know everyone probably says that, but you ask anyone on my team, like I had never shown up like that, um, uh, at workout. So, you know, I think it was a little like, oh man, like I'm fit, like I'm fit and healthy. And I think that's, you know, the most important thing is being healthy on race day. And so I think though, the most important thing I've learned through sport is you accept what you can't control and control like, and execute on the things you can control. So, I mean, you can't control if the Olympics are postponed. Like, so don't even worry about it. Don't even talk about it. Who cares? Okay. (laughs) Like, what can we do now to be ready next year? Perfect. We're going to do that. Like, I don't know. That's the type of mentality I take with everything. So it was pretty easy adjustment for me. Really? Well, that's, you know, that's good. Because obviously, like, people, I mean, people have been all over the place this year. Um, In all this learning, have you decided yet 5K or 10K? Or are you still, like, waiting to see? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it'll be the 10 K the 10 K is first. And so I'm guessing it'll actually be both like 10 K and then there's enough time to do the 5 K as well. So, I mean, we haven't fully decided, but yeah, seems logical. I feel like I saw like Shalane say somewhere that you needed to work on your closing speed for Cause like obviously track races, they close like crazy. Yep. Is that what else are you trying to work on in the next? Yeah. You know, I feel like, I mean, I guess like talking of last year and saying like my workouts were the best they've ever been. They were, Mm -hmm. um, but it was like all the specific works, all the strength works and work. And my speed was still lacking, um, comparatively. And so it was improving and improving tremendously, um, time over time, but I still have work to do in that. And so that's what I'm excited about this year. And that's been the sole focus for this year for me. Like, okay, like now I know how to execute on all the other types of workouts. Now let's also add in this type. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Are you, um, Besides, like, close, because, like, the last 10K you did on the track, I mean, I think that last lap, like, they go really fast, right? Like, that was tough. Are there yes. other things that you're, like, trying to work on or concerned about? Or, I mean, I I feel like Jerry prepares us mm-hmm. to the best. You know, you look at the last Olympic cycle, and I think it was, like, eight out of his nine athletes qualified for right. the Olympics on the women's side. And so, you know, I'm not worried. He, 
you know, there's a lot of things I do like, you know, the 400s as that I was doing at the end of the season a couple months ago, like as hard as those were emotionally, they were so good for me and they taught me so much. Um, and so, you know, just things like that, like he always has a plan. He's like this mad scientist and he, <laughs> he knows the plan and he knows how to get it done. You just have to trust him and trust the process. And so, um, yeah, you know, I'm confident that, that Jerry's going to get me to the line race ready, you know? Um, and all I'll have to do is, uh, do run my fast. part. Yeah. <laughs> and you ran like, Jesus, uh, right? just run fast. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's what my sister always said. Just run faster. Just run faster. And you, yeah. uh, you did get a meet in before COVID happened and you ran like a PR 5k, right? Like 15, 10. Yeah. Um, but you weren't able to do, I mean, do the inner squad races count? Like do the times count for official yeah, those, stuff? Okay. Those do count. Um, and yeah, that 510 was kind of like a thank goodness because <laughs> like a week, 10 days earlier, I had raced out of altitude. Right. And I think it ran like 1540 or something. It might have even been slower. Right. Um, and I was just like, oh, man, I'm not cut out for this. Like what <laughs> happened? And like I basically cut off like 45 seconds the next week. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was really exciting to, to do that before COVID. But, you know. Yeah. And then it stopped and that's, it was okay. Like, because I mm-hmm. felt like I also, like I took a little time when COVID first hit and did some workouts on my own, which is something that I've always struggled with is executing solo. And so mm-hmm. I feel like there was a lot of things this year that I was able to work on that I think will help in racing. And totally different note. I also noticed this year you've got, you've been like pretty outspoken about like social justice issues. You just wrote, I mean, this is going to air after the election, so let's not go crazy, but you just <laughs> wrote an op-ed about getting people out to vote. I saw like, So it seems like you've also gotten a lot more active in that stuff this year. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, there's issues out right now, Mm -hmm. like racism that just aren't acceptable. Um, And and so for me, it's an easy choice to to say, like, I, I don't think I'm being political. I think I'm being there's only one answer. (laughs) Um, Like, and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I there's, yeah, just social inequality. And I don't see how people see that as, uh, political. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of comments of either I'm unfollowing you, I don't come to you for political advice and all this stuff. And, you know, I think it comes back to me just being really secure in who Mm -hmm. I am. And I don't care if I lose followers because that's what matters. That matters way more than how many followers I have, like having social equality and having a better world for, for my son and my teammates, like that matters way, way, way more than, than anything small, like how many followers I have, or, you know, like comments on a photo or likes on a comment, like that does not matter. And so for me, yeah, it's like a, it's an easy solution to try to do as much as I can. And I think like, that's, that's not enough either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I'm on triathlons, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, board, and I have a couple other projects in the works, um, that I'm a part of, but that I don't need to go too much into, cause mm-hmm. I don't want like accolades for that. But like, I feel like you know, I need to make real change. And that's what I'm striving towards. You know, me and Patrick, we've talked a lot about this. And just like, you know, this is a, this is a time in history that like Stanley's going to grow up our son and he's going to say like, what did you guys do, mom and dad? And and we want to be able to say that we actually did something. And, and so like, we're trying to make real change. And that's not just donating money. That's not just posting on social media. It's, it's actually like putting in the hard work. And so Um, you know, it's having the hard conversation with, with our friends. It's, um, you know, trying to see like, how can we actually make triathlon more inclusive, Mm -hmm. um, those sorts of things. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Okay. How can we make, I mean, this is a topic I've spent a lot of time thinking about what, how can we make triathlon more inclusive? What do you, what do you think? I wish I had the answer. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of different groups and initially I was like, I'm going to start my own thing in inner city. And and I realized like, no, like there are groups Mm -hmm. out there that have, um, black and brown coaches and athletes and already established. And so like, I'm putting my energy into that and asking them like, what do you guys need? Um, and you know, I've, I've found a lot, I've been shocked at the triathlon world of how, I think, I mean, I'd call it racist, how racist some people are and, and the racism that, um, triathletes experience at races. And that has been 
just so hard for me Hmm. emotionally to accept because triathlon gave me so much as a sport and, and to think that it's can have this negativity is something that's been super difficult. So, you know, I have a few friends, uh, one of them is actually a fan who is, um, uh, a black woman and she just like, she, she said, I, she explained how I changed her life, but she honestly changed mine. And I've kept, I mean, like, it's the, only fan that I like have her phone number and we like talk to each other every once in a while. Like it's weird, but, um, we just have had a connection. And so like, you know, I talk to her about like, what does she experience and what does she think? And just try to like go to people and ask them, um, you know, a lot of people think it's the swimming access, but if you look at like inner city places, there's, there's pool access. And so that's not the issue. It's like getting people there, teaching them how to swim, Um, and you know, just basically like how, how do we get them to participate? Um, and a lot of people will take different approaches. You know, some people believe it start with the kids. Some say, well, if the parents aren't doing it, the kids won't be able to get there. So it's like, start with the parents or make it a family thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, just doing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking a lot. I don't have a solution for you. <laughs> if, I think if I think if there was a solution, it would all be fixed, right? Because I know. Not, well, I'm realizing not everyone, but the majority of people want social equality. Yeah, I mean, we have a story, and I'm going to plug in our magazine right now. Um, three black women triathletes who are all like fucking amazing people um, wrote about what they see as the obstacles. And it's a lot of, you know, welcoming, like you have to actively break down barriers and welcome people. So, but it sounds like you still care a lot about triathlon. It sounds like we're going to see you back (laughs) someday. I care about triathlon and I want people. I, I just feel like I've been given so much through triathlon. I want to give back, but that doesn't mean that I enjoy doing a triathlon. (laughs) Oh no. So you don't think you're ever going to do another one? Oh, I mean, maybe if my son grows up and loves triathlon okay. and he wants to do like a mommy and me triathlon, <laughs> then you'll think about it. All right. All right. So what do you I mean, it sounds like you're very focused on like getting ready for Tokyo, Tokyo. And what do you see kind of after that? It seems like you maybe are thinking about organizations or programs or things you can do kind of down the road. What is what is Gwen Jorgensen do after Tokyo? Ooh, great question. Yeah. I think it depends on, um, yeah, how this year goes, how qualification goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's the other thing with getting involved with things right now, as we were talking about with social equality is like, I don't have time to fully invest and like start a program and be the face of it and, you know, travel around to groups and like encourage kids like, Hey, I'm a gold medalist. Like, Right. I got a shiny little coin that my son calls, like, come <laughs> see it. Like, I, I, I don't really have the time to do that every week. And so that is something I want to do um, when I have more time. And, you know, my husband, he has that agency. I'd love to work with him on that and use my little accounting background. But oh, I do, I do want to like it, like, I, I would love to run for a few more years, but I also want to have more kids. So I think like any athlete, Um, you have one goal for four years and it's hard to see past that. Like you have this huge plan for four years, you map it all out Mm -hmm. and you don't really map out the what's next. And I don't think there's much sense in trying to map it out. Um, just, I think back to me, like after the 2012 Olympics, my plan for where I was going to be after 2016 is so different than where I am today. And so, um, for me, it's just, I, I think I have, I'm fortunate that I have, I could always go back to accounting. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I just have so many options that it doesn't stress me out. Um, and so I think that's exciting. And I don't think I can predict it because I think it changes constantly. You could write a book. Your mom and your sister wrote a book about you, right? You could write a book. That could be it. That's right. They did. Yeah. Go, Gwen, go. Um, thank you for the plug. <laughs> it's a great book that they, and it actually has a lot of input from me. Like I've obviously read it all. They take like my personal, like I'd write them cause I was abroad for so many months. I'd write them these long emails and they take, you know, my emotions and what I was going through and write it into a book. Um, but they're actually writing a second book right now, which oh. I'm so excited about for middle schoolers. Um, because there's not enough like strong female role model autobiographies for middle schoolers. And like a lot of middle school aged kids have to write um, like a book report on an autobiography. So I'm really excited. They're trying to start this new like Wonder Woman series of strong female women uh, that middle aged, middle school aged kids can read. So that's exciting. Oh, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it would be weird. I would feel weird if my mom wrote a book about me, but you know. 
Well, I was, I felt, yeah, I felt a little weird with Go Gwen Go, um, but I love this middle school one because I'm like, I want to help young kids, like yes, but yeah, I mean, it's, I love the book, and I think, you know, what I love about it is it's kind of like my own little, uh, like, I can't, what I can't remember what you call it when you like make a book with like pictures and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I know. do you know what I'm talking about? Like. Uh, <laughs> It's like memories. Yeah. It's like my own little photo book memory, but like longer. So I think it's kind of fun. Like I think, you know, years down the line, I may enjoy looking back on it. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, I do have to say though, Pat hasn't read it yet fully. So I'm like, really? Pat, come on. Oh, man, that's yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, all right. Looking uh, forward. What do you, I mean, we've talked a lot about next year. What do you think your first race is going to be next year? Assuming we have races, assuming that's a thing. Yeah, I have no idea. No that's, idea. That's no I mean, idea. with Jerry, with Jerry in particular, okay. we normally don't know our first race until like, I'm like, I'm not even joking. My first two races, like back the last two times I came back, I was told like a Tuesday and the race was Friday. And then the other time I was told like on a Thursday and the race was Saturday. So it's like, I'll find out week of that first race. So I don't All know, right. maybe do more inner squad racing because that's safe with COVID and we have enough people to do it. Maybe we'll do, you know, I don't really foresee like indoor season happening. Um, so maybe some road races. I don't really know what, what's next. That's gotta be like a kind of stressful way to, to live. Pro- you like show up and you don't know if you have a race this weekend or not. <laughs> well, I mean, not quite. I mean, I know I'm not fit enough to race uh, <laughs> right this now. week, so right. I know I'm safe at least for this upcoming week. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. And, uh, and usually we kind of end with a would you rather. I think I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you, would you rather run a 5K, a 10K, or a marathon? Right now? Well, yeah. I mean, you can, or next year. Well, that's a hard question. If it's uh, right now, it's yeah. 5K. That's because that's what I'm fittest <laughs> for. But like if I have time to prepare and I have 12 weeks, yeah, it's probably a marathon. Uh, okay. All right. Just because that's what you like want to try. Like that's what you're. Yes. Uh, that's what I feel like I need. I can really conquer. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you ran the first one right after Rio off no training, like 240. So it seems like. Seems I can improve. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us and for all of the insight and good luck next year. Well, uh, when are the Olympic trials in April, May? June. Or June. All right. Yes. I'll give it my best. Thank you for chatting. All right. Thanks. Thanks to Gwen for chatting on a Saturday and thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Keep training and keep listening.